Before we get started today, I'd like to talk about our new Buy Me A Coffee memberships. Now, when you subscribe monthly for the price of one to five coffees, you also get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, the ability to ask questions directly to us, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our first members on Buy Me A Coffee, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, and Fra. Thank you all very, very much. You too should join them and support independent journalism. Head to Buy Me A Coffee and subscribe, and starting next week, you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil. If you cannot support us on a monthly basis, you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash report to find out more. Last week, Supreme Court Justice Alexandre de Moraes decided to ban Telegram in Brazil. The decision was a reaction to the company's complete disregard for Brazilian courts. Judges had made several failed attempts to contact the messaging app as they looked for ways to curb the spread of misinformation. Telegram eventually responded with an excuse that might be even more insulting than going AWOL for months. The company said it had not received the court's emails. Telegram then decided over the weekend to comply with judicial orders to curb misinformation and finally named the legal representative in Brazil. In the end, the courts lifted the ban before it was even enforced. The decision, however, was a way for the courts to draw a red line in the sand which Telegram is not supposed to cross. Now, this week, we are talking about what the decision means, both legally and politically. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Brazil's electoral authorities believe Telegram is one of the greatest threats to the country's upcoming elections. After WhatsApp began imposing restrictions on bulk messaging, Telegram began the go-to app for spreading political content, especially among the far-right. Jair Bolsonaro has over 1.2 million followers on the app, a tally that dwarfs that of any other Brazilian politician. And that's why the president labeled the decision to ban the app a political hit job aiming to silence him. He claimed the Supreme Court justice overstepped its bounds and should not have made such a decision. We're joined this week by Marcela Matiuzzo, a lawyer specialized in antitrust law and data protection at VMCA Advogados, a São Paulo-based law firm. Marcela, thanks for coming back to our show. Well, thanks for, for having me. It's a pleasure. In 2014, Brazil passed a new legal framework for the internet. What does the law say about how and when the courts are allowed to strike down platforms? And how does it apply to the Telegram case? Yeah, so the what we usually call the Brazilian Internet Act, it has specifically three provisions that are of relevance for this specific decision from the Brazilian Supreme Court, which are Articles 10, 11, and 12 of the Act. Basically, in Article 12, we have the penalties that it will apply in case, um, you know, you fail, you as a company or as an individual, 
fail to comply with the act itself. Um, and it, it, it does include among the possible sanctions a temporary suspension of the activities of the app or even the prohibition of further exercising those activities. The trick here is that, as the article specifically mentions, those two sanctions only apply if you're talking about violations related to Article 11 of this same act. And when you go to read what Article 11 talks about, it is basically an article about um, the processing of personal data. You would be able to apply these two sanctions if we were talking about mishandling the processing of personal data. What we have in the decision from um, Justice Alexandre de Moraes from the Brazilian Supreme Court, it's important to highlight that it was a decision by him and not a decision by the entire court, um, was that he was willing to apply those sanctions even though the specific act that Telegram um, you know, performed was not related to the processing of personal data. It was related to the fact that the app failed to comply with judicial orders, more specifically orders from the Supreme Court itself that determined the company had to take down some content and to deliver information to the court on, on some aspects. So I think that the big legal discussion here is in that um, in, in that sense, like does the Brazilian Internet Act allow for taking down an app in the way that was was done by this specific decision? Does it? Yeah, in my in my understanding, um, the, the the law is pretty clear. And if you read Articles 12, 11 and 10 combined, it it really wouldn't it wouldn't be the understanding that would be, you know, clear to to the reader, to, to the legal reader. But what I think is important to to highlight, I mean, given that, you know, I'm just me and um, he is a justice at the Brazilian Supreme Court, is that we've already had and we actually still have this debate in other courts in Brazil. The Supreme Court is currently judging a completely different case that is what we call it an ADI, which is a case that is focusing on deciding on the constitutionality of a given legal document, a given legislation. And in this case, this specific issue is being discussed, meaning what does the Brazilian Internet Act allow for? Does it allow courts to take down the app, the, the service provided by the company, and on which grounds it would allow for that? And we've already had some opinions from some justices that, you know, reinforce my argument in the sense that it's possible to take down um, the app temporarily or permanently, but not simply because the app is failing to comply with judicial orders. But I mean, I think the point is, it's an ongoing debate. We don't have a final ruling from the Supreme Court itself that says, okay, you can do this or you can't do that based on this specific provision of the Brazilian Internet Act, which is also why I think it, it led to so much discussion. And as I mentioned, this discussion has happened before. We had takedowns from WhatsApp back in 2015 and 2016, specifically, that were both based on this exact same reading 
of the legislation. And it was overruled afterwards. So the debate is ongoing. Right. And you point out to the fact that this was an individual decision. And there are a lot of legal scholars who say that the abundance of individual decisions at the Supreme Court level add to the state of legal uncertainty in Brazil instead of the rulings by the full Supreme Court bench. Do you think in this case that the Telegram debacle adds to that uncertainty? I do think so, specifically because, you know, we had a decision and then Telegram chose to voluntarily comply with what the justice was requiring, right? So it was never effectively taken down. So the decision never really produced its effects because the company simply voluntarily said, okay, we're going to do what you asked us to do. Uh, so we have both these factors, right? So it was one justice and not the entire court. And it was a decision that, you know, never had to produce its its full effects because the company chose to to solve the problem by itself before being taken down. One of Telegram's actions following the initial ban was appointing a legal representative in Brazil. How does that change the company's situation vis-a-vis -vis the courts? I think that's a very interesting point because um, I'm not sure the people who are listening to us have exactly seen um, the message that the company decided to release before it said that it would provide, you know, a, a legal representative and so on and so forth. Basically, what they said was, we're very sorry, but we hadn't really received the messages from the court. So we didn't really know that we were not in compliance. But now that we have received the message, we will do everything that you're asking us to do. So we'll, you know, appoint a legal representative and so on. So this was basically the argument that they used. Now that they have appointed a legal representative, they no longer have that excuse, right? I mean, the person is appointed to be their legal representative. The courts can reach this person more easily because this person is located in Brazil. Um, it, it's a lawyer. He has an address, etc. So I think it tends to make the relation in thesis, at least, um, smoother in terms of the courts have someone they know they can talk to about their requests. Not only this request, but any request, right? So probably, in, in my opinion, it, it will make things easier for the company moving forward? I mean, not necessarily. In 2016, Facebook's VP for Latin America was briefly detained because WhatsApp, which Facebook owns, did not comply with a court order. It's a legal representative of the company. It's not someone that is an employee of the company, which is different, right? I mean, when, when we had those instances beforehand, of, you know, individuals being targeted on behalf of the company, they were usually not only representatives, but also to some extent employees. And that is not happening here, right? There was something about this decision that really caught my eye. Justice Moraes said that anyone using subterfuges to circumvent his ruling would get a hefty fine. And that meant that Brazilians using a VPN to access Telegram would be liable. Now, It's pretty much impossible to enforce this, right? Because even in China, where the internet space is heavily restricted, people use VPNs regardless. How did you see this provision of the initial ruling? Yeah, so I think it was it was a smart framing of the decision itself. 
because as you say, like anyone that is using a VPN would fall within the concept that he created, but he didn't single out any specific technology, right? So any means of going around the decision and basically not complying with it would be, you know, punishable. As you said, pretty much impossible to enforce a provision such as this, a decision such as this. I mean, I don't know about China, probably would still be hard to do it in China, but here in Brazil, certainly um, very complicated to to implement. My view on that is that it has less of an immediate effect and a concrete impact on users and more of a message, right? So not only am I banning the company from, you know, providing the service and providing the app, I am also warning users that they should not go around the decision and try to access the service some other way. So if you think that this decision in Telegram's case specifically is very much connected to the the discussions about disinformation in Brazil and are also embedded in the context of the general elections that are coming next October, then you understand that, okay, so the, the focus here seems to be less on the viability of enforcement and perhaps more on the message that it sends to everyone that is a potential Telegram user. Now, we mentioned data privacy rights a few times in our conversation, and that is really new to Brazil, I mean, to any country. Do you think the courts in Brazil know the ins and outs of data privacy and what is at stake when ruling on these issues? So I, I do think that the Brazilian Supreme Court specifically has had an important understanding of data protection legislation. They were pioneers in a way in recognizing data protection as a fundamental right, even uh, before the the change in the constitution to you know textually insert that right um, in the constitution. But I, I don't really think that the way to approach data protection in general is from a a perspective of policy, right? Uh, in the terms of police enforcement. And I'm not even saying that this is what happened in this specific case of Telegram, because as we said, um, the, the focus of the decision is less on data protection and the data protection legislation, and it's more on the Brazilian Internet Act. But of course, the issues somewhat relate to one another. Uh, but, but I think it's a mistake to, to see Uh, data protection and see access to to personal data solely from the point of view of you know investigations and and so forth. Uh, that is also why the Brazilian data protection legislation itself says that we should have a specific legislation that covers the use of personal data by the police for criminal investigations and so forth. So we do recognize that this gap exists, and in cases such as this, I think it becomes clear why it is important to actually have regulation on that aspect. Otherwise, it becomes sort of, you know, just an argument that you throw out there that, oh, you know, personal data is relevant for this. Um, it's, I don't know, something related to national security. Uh, the LGPD specifically says that it does not apply to national security issues. Therefore, I can do whatever I want with the information. Again, I'm not saying this is what happened in the Telegram case. The justice never mentions the LGPD for justifying his decision. 
So um, I wouldn't say that that's the, the focus of the decision, but I think that is kind of a background that we should be aware of and concerned with. Marcela, thank you very much. Thank you. Marcela Machuzzo is a lawyer specialized in antitrust law and data protection at VMCA Advogados, a Sao Paulo-based law firm. We'll be right back. We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October, and there are several other issues you should be aware of, such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website, and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code EXPLAINING22. We're back, and this time with Beatriz Hay, who is an SNF Agora Visiting Fellow at the Johns Hopkins University and a APSA Congressional Fellow. She's also bi-monthly columnist on The Brazilian Report. Beatriz, you wrote in a recent op-ed on the Brazilian Report that, quote, Brazil's courts are acting to count Bolsonaro, but they shouldn't. Why not? Uh, I think because, in principle, the courts should not, they are overstepping their, their own purview, right? They should, in the case that I was discussing in the op-ed, we were talking about how the electoral court is basically holding Bolsonaro accountable for his attempts to, to contest the, the integrity of the elections, of Brazilian elections. Uh, and that's completely out of the purview of the electoral court, which is supposed to coordinate voting processes in the country, judge appeals against decisions of regional uh, electoral courts, and so on. Not like There is in, in no way that the electoral court is supposed to hold him accountable. So what we're seeing is that The courts are overstepping their original roles, and that can have detrimental effects for Brazilian democracy, in my view. Which would be? I think in the op-ed, I rely on a book that is actually called The Judicialization of Politics in Latin America. And uh, the argument there is that, and they, they talk about, they, they use the case, for example, of Colombia, but if the And as much as you have a judicial system trying to overstep and to mingle into politics, what you see is that in the future, uh, politicians can try to limit the powers of the court as uh, retaliation, right? So it can bring future problems. And I think in the case of Brazil, it's already bringing immediate problems because we're seeing institutions overstep the, the functions of other institutions in, in a way that it's kind of messy to just understand the game right now. Now, but many people say that nobody's holding Bolsonaro accountable and that somebody should. If that is the Supreme Court, so be it, many say. Right. And I think somebody who should, the, the institution who should be holding Bolsonaro accountable is Congress, right? Congress has an institutional mechanism to do that, which is impeachment. But because Bolsonaro has, and, and that's the part in all of this discussion that interests me as a congressional scholar, because Bolsonaro was able to finally coordinate a basis of support 
through the secret budget, which parts of it are legal, although not transparent, and parts of it are illegal. He has a cushion in, in Congress, right? He's not no longer under threat of impeachment. And when the, the issue is when Congress doesn't hold him accountable, we, we say that there's no vacuum of power in politics, right? Another institution is going to occupy that. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's healthy for Brazilian democracy. It's just what happens. And that's what we're seeing with the courts. And how can Brazilians hold Congress accountable for not holding Bolsonaro accountable? So I have a, an op-ed with a friend that it's uh, supposed to come out soon exactly about that. And the argument that we make is that we should start, we should look at the people who are the, the leaders in Congress, the ones that actually make a difference in the, in the legislative process and in the impeachment process, for instance, the Speaker of the House. And instead of protesting in the legislative arena, uh, Brazilian citizens should protest in the electoral arena. And what I mean by that is they should go to, for instance, the Speaker of the House district and protest there where he win votes, right? So affect, try to shape the extent to which he can get reelected. Of course, it's not going to solve the immediate problem of Bolsonaro. I think at this point, I don't have any illusions that we're going to solve that. But I think a strategy for the future, regardless of who wins the presidency, if we have a Speaker of the House like Arthur Lira, who is extremely powerful and that some of it is by institutionally, but some of it is like him bending institutions to to have more power. Uh, we have to change the strategy because nobody like what happened. The protest in in Brasilia, the voters don't pay attention to that, right? We need to protest where these people are are getting votes, and that's in their districts. Now, Bolsonaro says the Telegram short-lived ban was a political hit job to silence him. Does he have a point? Because if we were to ban platforms that are used for spreading misinformation, which platform would remain? Well, I think there are two parts there. Um, it's a two-part two answer there. The first is that if the issue is uh, how the, the, the communication uh, medium is being used, I think the, we should be targeting the group that is using the medium, correct, and not the medium itself. Uh, we have heard about the Office of Hate. So we know that there is a sort of informal arrangement or institution attached to the presidency who is actively promoting misinformation. Uh, so the effort should be to stop that, right? In my view, not the medium itself. The second thing is that the, the, the discussion about freedom of expression is a very complicated one. And I think the decision gives Bolsonaro supporters an argument to say that they're being censored. And I don't see in that in this particular case, it's not. And I, I'm going to um, go back to something that happened in Brazil a couple of weeks ago when we had a YouTuber saying uh, defending the existence of a Nazi party. So in that case, I think there is no question in my mind that 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 person should not be allowed to say that. Right. Because you're you're actively hurting part of society which it's harder to make that case in this particular situation of telegram right so i think instead of targeting the medium you should target the office of hate or whatever organization within the presidency or by the presidency or from the bolsonaro supporters group whatever it is that is actively misspreading information but that doesn't seem 
I don't think the problem is I don't I don't know the extent to which that it's feasible in the current political systems, given that Bolsonaro has um, kind of like he's blind, right? He has, again, he has cushions from different parts of the, the political system, right? Uh, so I don't know the extent to which it's possible to move forward with that. More than banning Telegram, Justice Alexandre de Moraes wanted to draw a red line on the sand. He said in the past that the courts will not allow 2022 to be a repeat of 2018. Now, can't the courts enforce their promise? And even if they do, Wouldn't it be the case of justice being served selectively? Because electoral courts in Brazil are known for letting pretty much anyone off the hook. If justice is served selectively, is it being served at all? Yeah, I don't think it is, right? I don't think they can hold that promise. I think we're going we're gonna to deal with a lot of misinformation in this year's election. First of all, because of a timing issue. There's no... Uh, there's no actual time to to rethink or or address the issue as it needed to be addressed but i agree with you i think if it if justice is served selectively it's not in, in my opinion it's not actually being served the problem i think is that again we're dealing with the situation in in which in my view institutions the broad institutions are not act like actually working right so It's hard to conceive of a situation in which uh, things are done in the way that we would expect them to do, right? Attending the just to, to justice principles and to equality principles and to the rule of law, all of those things that we would expect in a democracy, they happen when you have an active political system that works. And that's not the situation in Brazil right now. I know that there is an argument out there for institutions that are working in Brazil. I have trouble seeing that exactly because of what we're discussing here, right? We have a situation in which the courts are stepping up to hold Bolsonaro accountable because Congress is refusing to do so. In that situation, it's hard to think of justice not being served selectively. And to be fair, I think that this is not something like that has happened just in this administration. What we saw with the car wash operation, for instance, was justice being served selectively. Um, So this is a, a long pattern, I think, in Brazil, and we're still seeing uh, uh, the same developments. And I think one thing that I want, like just taking a step back and, and looking at Brazilian democracy, kind of like as if we were floating in the air and looking at its developments out from above, we're talking about a very fragile democracy and a democracy that's been trying to consolidate itself, right? And that means that we're going to see things like that, um, things in which the rule of law is not completely respected, in which justice is served selectively, in which Congress does what it's doing, which is refuse to hold Bolsonaro accountable, not only not, not hold him accountable, but actively helping him continue whatever he's doing. So I think it's not surprising, really, that we observe these things, given that Brazil's democracy is not fully consolidated. I think. We need to keep that in mind. I'm, I am getting a little more pessimistic as time goes by just because of how things, it seems like they've gotten a little bit worse, right, over time. And that's a long-term process. Uh, I thought I was more optimistic uh, in the beginning of the 2000s than I am now. But I do hope that with the election this year, people have a chance to choose a new leader and that we have a chance to, to reconstruct all the, the things that have been damaged by now. Beatriz, thank you very much. 
Thank you. Beatriz Hay is a columnist at the Brazilian Report and also an SNF Agora Visiting Fellow at Johns Hopkins University and an APSA Congressional Fellow. If you like explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes a second and it will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.